morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9 a.m. October the 7th, 2019. This is episode 147 of Bitcoin and let's just start this whole day, this whole week with a seven part tweet storm from at T-H-I-B-M underscore or Thib. Although it may be pronounced Tib, I'm not sure, but I've been really enjoying this guy's stuff. So let's let's just get let's get our feet wet right now. When Dropbox, Google, or Facebook built their empires, they did it on the internet. The internet was built in layers on a multitude of computer network protocols, notably the internet protocol IP made it mainstream. Protocols just work together, TCP IP, HTTP, FTP, etc., etc. Companies building credit, derivatives, custody, or insurance on Bitcoin will win long-term, similar to their homologs that built on top of many layers stacked over IP. The Bitcoin protocol, or BP, is giving birth to a monetary revolution also built in layers. When Dropbox built their massively successful storage product, they didn't build their own TCP IP or FTP, but used public internet protocols that had ossified over time. When IP was designed, the protocol couldn't include many features, which led to other layers. The Lightning Network Protocol, or LNP, is one add-on to BP. BP is making performance trade-offs to allow for ledger integrity and accessible verification. BP is costly to write on, miners, and cheap to read, full nodes, limiting functions affecting speed throughput. BP must stay decentralized to ensure its rules are not altered by powerful attackers. Running verification software slash hardware must be affordable and simplistic to ensure transaction integrity. LNP is in charge of adding almost instant cheap transaction settlement. Emerging companies building on top of LNP BP stack or within it will be worth trillions of dollars in the coming decades in today's terms, which may be irrelevant by then. <laughs> companies distracted by other, quote, base layer protocols will fail. Billions of dollars may be lost. And finally, he ends this with learning mistakes in free markets isn't cheap. Ignoring historical evidence about the evolution of computer network protocols is delusional. Never too late to reroute. Bitcoin is most likely the only winning base layer protocol in 20 to 30 years. Why build elsewhere? Yes, indeed, Thib. Why would you entrust anything on a second-class protocol and a second-class network? I don't know. It would be a, a gamble I, I would not ever be willing to make. That is for damn sure, for damn sure. Now, one thing I want 
to push back on a little bit is this uh, where he says, where is it? What he says? Oh, yeah. This line here in his fifth tweet, uh, it's the last line of the fifth tweet says, LNP is in charge of adding almost instant slash cheap transaction settlement. Okay. Where have we heard that before? Now, I, 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 I love the Lightning Network. Don't get me wrong, guys. I mean, don't, you know, don't, don't throw cabbages and shit at me, all right? All I'm saying is that one of the most harmful narratives that happened to Bitcoin happened very early, and it was pushed by the likes of Roger Ver and a whole host of others. Instant, cheap, yada, yada, yada transactions. First of all, Bitcoin transactions on the base layer were never instant. They, I mean, you had to wait. I mean, you still had to wait an hour for six confirmations, which is somehow or another uh, an arbitrary number of confirmations that that has been selected and and sort of it's sort of like I won't say it's ossified, but it's definitely in the culture that you wait six blocks before you can be not assured, but be, you know, breathe a sigh of relief that your coins aren't going to be double spent. Okay. So six blocks at 10 minutes per block, give you roughly around an hour. Why were we told shit was instant when it certainly was never instant? And that's why BCH have gone to zero confirmations. That's the, the whole zero confirmation thing in, in, on the BCH layer or not layer, but in their folklore or whatever the hell you want to call it, it's there to prop up that very wrong initial statement that Bitcoin transactions were instant. They may have been cheap at the time, but they certain you know, and, and every once in a while they're still pretty cheap. I mean, I saw a guy move, I don't know, was it 68 million? It was some like $107 million for like 68 cents. Yeah, try try doing that with with a bank. Yeah, that's not never gonna never gonna happen. And Try moving $107 million worth of gold and see how much that shit costs you. Again, I, I don't hate gold. I just don't like it when Peter Schiff says stupid shit like uh, only, only gold. Of course, and again, we could be blamed. Maximalists can be blamed for saying only Bitcoin. But again, you know, if, I mean, it's why build on, a, on on something that doesn't have anywhere close to the security uh, that Bitcoin does? So... With all that said, all I'm saying is that we need to be cautious with narratives that we push. For instance, what if one of these days lightning transactions aren't so damn cheap? We don't know. That's the whole point. We don't know. It, it seems to me that there's nothing in the lightning protocol that does not guard against expensive transactions. And at that point, how do we define what is inexpensive versus expensive? That shit's like in the in the mind of the beholder, right? There's not some law that says X percent of, you know, the value of transaction, that transaction fee being X percent of the value of the original transaction. If it's over this X percent, it's too high. And if it's under, it's low. I don't see anything like that. So therefore, we are in danger of of pushing narratives that may not be true in the future. That's all I'm saying. Other than that, I really like Thib's stuff or Tib. I'm not sure how he pronounces it. It's okay. Doesn't matter because what this guy says, I mean, I love this guy's threads. He's always got something great to say. 
And this is no different. So um, moving on, this is not, this is Bitcoin related insofar as this is why we Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin. Fast Company is writing as of this morning, debt-ridden GE abruptly freezes pensions on 20,000 employees. This is Zloty Mayer. He's writing real, like just, this just got, this just got dropped. But let's just go through this. GE is trying to reduce its debt, and that means an estimated 20,000 employees woke up this morning to learn their pensions were being frozen. <laughs> this this why we Bitcoin. Oh, my God. That should have been – I wish that that had been a sentence right after that. Continuing. Their workers who have salaried benefits, <clears throat> though, also, uh, so, though also affected our approximately 700 employees, United States Supplementary – uh, pension benefits. The latter is for people who became executives before 2011, effective January 1, 2021. The company announced today that it was going to prefund about four to five billion dollars of estimated minimum ERISA funding requirements for 2021 and 2022, and offer a limited time lump sum payment option to approximately 100,000 eligible former employees who have not started getting their monthly pay, uh, monthly pension payments yet. According to GE, these moves will cut its pension deficit by about five to eight billion dollars U.S. and its industrial net debt by approximately four to six billion dollars U.S. Wall Street seemed to like the decision. Well, of course they did. GE's stock was up, was eight dollars and sixty three cents, up six cents or 0.7 percent in pre market trading. Quote. Returning GE to a position of strength has required us to make several difficult de decisions, and today's decision to freeze the pension is no exception, Kevin Cox, Chief Human Resources Officer, said in a statement. We carefully weighed market trends and our strategic priority to improve our financial position with the impact to our employees. We are committed to helping our employees through this transition, end quote. May I, okay, that's the end of the story, but may I remind you, that the United Auto Workers Union is has been on strike for like 21 days against GE. So all of a sudden they woke up and 200,000 employees just had their pensions frozen. This is why we Bitcoin. Okay. Am I saying this is retaliation? I, you know, I don't know. What, what has been on my mind lately is that um, this strike was more than likely to uncover something dire in GE because we're seeing a bunch of a bunch of these massive, you know, conglomerates that are just starting to you're seeing cracks form everywhere. So all of a sudden you got a strike going for 20 days. Is it retaliation that they did this? I'm actually thinking that this strike may have actually kicked a leg out from underneath their uh their balance sheet. And they're scrambling to figure out how to shore that up before somebody figures out that they, what if GE's insolvent? We don't know. We don't really know. I mean, sure, they publish their they publish their paperwork and their numbers and whatnot because they're they're required to. But are those the real numbers? Or we're seeing chicanery all over the place, and GE's no exception to the rule. Why? Because they're run by human beings who have shit to lose. So, but even if Neither one of those are true. It's not retaliation, and it's not that the the strike uncovered a major crack in their finance uh, in GE's financials. Still, this is why we Bitcoin. Continuing, okay, this one just dropped. 
Um, Bitfinex and Tether are being sued. Uh, who's named? This is in the United. Okay, sorry. This is in the United States District Court, Southern District of New York. Of course, it's New York. It's always New York. Nobody else seems to give a shit about anything, but New York has just ah, got their hands all in the pie. Anyway, so David, Benjamin, Jason, and Aaron Leibowitz and Pinchas Goldstein are suing the crap out of Ifinex. BFXNA, BFXWW Inc., Tether Holdings Limited, Tether Operations Limited, Tether Limited, Tether International Limited, uh, was Digfinex Incorporated, Philip G. Potter, Giancarlo Devasini, uh, Ludovicus Jan von der Veld. <laughs> That's a hell of a name, man. Reginald Fowler, Crypto Capital Corp, and Global Trade Solutions AG are all listed as defendants in this, which is a class action complaint. Okay, so let's just go through the, the a little bit of this. And this is actually from the the actual filing. This isn't a news piece or anything like that. This is just straight up the actual filing at the United States District Court, Southern District of New York. And we'll go through just a few of these uh, claims here. Plaintiff David Benjamin Jason Aaron Leibowitz and Pinchas Goldstein individually and on behalf of others, hence class action, similarly situated, bring this action against Ifinex and the rest of the people that I just read to you. They allege as follows. One, This action concerns the sophisticated scheme that co-opted a disruptive innovation, cryptocurrency, and used it to defraud investors, manipulate markets, and conceal illicit proceeds. Two, part fraud, part pump and dump, and part money laundering, the scheme was primarily accomplished through two enterprises, Bitfinex and Tether, that commingled their corporate identities and customer funds while concealing their extensive cooperation in a way that enabled them to manipulate cryptocurrency markets with unprecedented effectiveness. Three, founded in 2012, Bitfinex is one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, a marketplace for individuals to buy and sell various cryptocurrencies, and then they go on to describe Tether. Five, together, Bitfinex and Tether manipulated a market that, by design, is supposed to be decentralized. Six, at the heart of this scheme was Tether's claim that the number of USDT tokens in circulation will always equate to the dollars in the bank account. This claim enabled Bitfinex and Tether to signal to the market that there was rapidly growing demand for cryptocurrencies because each USDT printed represented another dollar invested in the market. Seven, this claim was a lie. Now, there's 14 uh, general claims here. The last one is the is the last one that I'm going to read to you because at this point it's sort of like a bitch fest. But this one is, and there's, in my opinion, and I'm not a lawyer, but just reading like reading those, I'm a little dubious as to just how actionable this whole thing is going to be. But here's here's the last one, and this is a doozy. Calculating damages at this stage is premature, but there is little doubt that the scale of harm wrought by the defendants is unprecedented. Their liability to the putative case likely surpasses, get this, 1.4 trillion U.S. dollars. Trillion with a T. So long and the short of it, a whole bunch of people are suing Bitfinex and Tether. 
possibly for $1.4 trillion. I, I doubt that they'll actually list that, but they're they're They've just like, I think they've blown this whole thing out of proportion anyway. So yeah, so this is going to be the new shit show, uh, for the next few months. Uh, God actually may even be years. You know how these things, how these things go, but Somebody's finally pulled the trigger on a major class action lawsuit. We'll see if it actually progresses beyond this stage, but I would probably take it. If I was them, be the, the people that are named in the lawsuit, I would probably take it as seriously as I, as I possibly could. Okay, this is uh, Adrian Smunsky writing for Cointelegraph as of yesterday, SEC. If Bitcoin was a security, it would raise substantial issues. In a letter to Cypher Technologies Bitcoin Fund dated October the 1st, the SEC declined the investment company's registration settlement on the grounds, among others, that Bitcoin is not a security. <laughs> nice. Per the letter, Cypher attempted to register an investment company under the Investment Company Act of 1940, implying that Bitcoin is a security. The SEC staff, on the other hand, has argued Cypher's reasoning under the Howey test and its framework for analyzing digital assets published in April. The letter states, quote, among other things, we do not believe that current purchasers of Bitcoin are relying on the essential managerial and entrepreneurial efforts of others to produce a profit. Accordingly, because Cypher intends to invest substantially all of its assets in Bitcoin as currently structured, it does not meet the definition of an investment company under the Investment Company Act, and it has inappropriately filed on Form N-2. Furthermore, oh, sorry, end quote. Furthermore, the SEC has noted that if Bitcoin was a security, quote, it would then raise substantial other issues, end quote. More precisely, the cryptocurrency in question would be, quote, an unregistered publicly offered security, and among other things, it potentially would render the proposed fund an underwriter of Bitcoin, end quote. Lastly, the securities regular, regulator also noted that Cypher did not adequately compel with legal and investor protection norms of comply, not compel. I'm sorry. Let me do that again. Lastly, the securities regulator also noted that Cypher did not ag- adequately comply with legal and investor protection forms. The letter concludes by saying that the SEC staff will not conduct an additional review of Cypher in its present form. As Cointelegraph reported a week ago, debates are still ongoing as on whether XRP, the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap, is a security. I still don't understand this form of writing where the very last sentence is seemingly like just a throw in. I, I don't get that. I, I just, that this isn't about XRP. And just because it, there's lots of stuff that's being examined as a security. Why threat? Whatever. That's, I guess that's my inner editor going on anyway. Okay. So this is the second time that it's been publicly uh, spoken of at the level of, well, as, as, uh, as, you know, Genuine as you can get, the SEC is saying Bitcoin still not a security. It said that once before. It's now said it again. Bitcoin is not a security. All the rest of the shit coins in the world may and are probably a security. Some of them may be denoted that they're not a security. But one thing that we do know about is that the sure bet of what's not a security, at least according to the SEC, is Bitcoin. So again, why, 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 for the love of God, would you entrust your money on a, 
second class network with almost shit for security most of which are are run by people that have an address that the SEC can go hello we'd like to arrest your ass and basically tank the price of your shitcoin why that's just that that's a risk that i just don't think is acceptable in today's age continuing coin desks Brady Dale and Nicholas Day are co-authoring Algo Capital loses crypto funds after CTO's phone is hacked. Oh, joy. Algo Capital, an investment firm focused on the Algorand blockchain, lost a few million dollars in USDT and Algo tokens after its CTO's officer's phone was breached. According to a source familiar with the matter, Algo Capital reported to its limited partners Friday that Pablo Yabo, its CTO, had his mobile phone compromised, which allowed attackers to seize control of an Algo hot wallet he administered. As a result of the breach, roughly $1 million to $2 million in cryptocurrencies were taken, according to an email from CEO David Garcia, seen by Coindesk. Quote, yes, there was a security breach. We communicated to all the Algo Capital VC Fund Limited partners and updated them about the incident, end quote, says Garcia. (laughs) The network itself remains unscathed. Bullshit. Continuing, the Algorand team is aware of the breach suffered by the investment firm, the source said. Algo Capital has raised $200 million for its Algo VC Fund with the cash intended to support projects in the Algorand economy. Algo Capital founder and managing partner Arul Murugan said in an August 2019 statement that, quote, our investment approach specifically targets companies that are creating the next great blockchain applications and infrastructure solutions. And as a result, helping to speed blockchain adoption and bring millions of new users to the Algorand network, end quote. The investment firm is a separate entity from Algorand Foundation and Algorand LLC, which oversee the blockchain's actual development. Pablo Yabo has resigned his position, according to the email sent to partners. Further security measures have been taken by the firm. The majority of the firm's funds were held in cold wallets that were not compromised. The firm is taking full responsibility for the loss and committed to reimbursing the full amount within 20 months. Quote, we are engaging with certain key organizations and security services to collaborate and address this issue, which has become a common industry problem, Garcia wrote. The Algorand blockchain itself was first envisioned by MIT professor Silvio Macaulay. Is it? Yeah. Macaulay. M-I-C-A-L-I. Macaulay, I guess. In 2017, as a possible solution to the scaling issues other blockchains face. Under its consensus mechanism, the network randomly selects the machines which will add the next blocks to the blockchain as a variant of the proof-of-stake mechanism. Oh, for God's sakes. Okay, there is an update that the uh, former... CTO Yabo pledged in a medium post published Sunday to shoulder most of the reimbursement costs, writing, quote, I take responsibility for this and thus will be personally covering most of the stolen funds and the rest will be covered by Algo Capital uh, General Partners, end quote. Yabo also confirmed his departure from Algo Capital in the post, quote, I have decided to focus entirely on randlabs.io to do what I love most build tools and software that increases the adoption of blockchain technology. God, the shit coinery is just, it's rampant. The only thing I can say about this is how would you ever trust a company or a blockchain or a a crew of developers that allowed a hot wallet to be administered 
via a fucking cell phone. Does that sound in any way, shape, or form professional? His mobile phone was compromised. Why is he administering a hot wallet that is not his own? If it was his own hot wallet, we wouldn't even be hearing about it. Well, we'd hear about it, but it would only be insofar as I lost all my money. I shouldn't have kept it on my phone. It wasn't his money. It was the company's money. Why are you administering a hot wallet for a company on your mobile phone? You're the, and what's even worse is, my God, you're the CTO. You're the chief technology officer. I mean, for God's sakes, people, how much more of this kind of crap do you got to go through before you're, before you start going, maybe, maybe just maybe I shouldn't indulge myself into this level of shit coinery. Uh, Ex-federal prosecutor says U.S. blocking Libra has, uh, get this, national security implications. Oh, God, the hyperbole. (laughs) Marie Juliet writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Ex-federal prosecutor and now Andreessen Horowitz partner Katie Hahn has argued that the United States blocking Facebook's Libra digital currency will have national security implications, for God's sakes. Hans' comments reported in a CNBC profile published on August the 6th. Andreessen Horowitz is a founding member of the Libra Association, the Switzerland-based headquarters or Switzerland-headquartered nonprofit consortium established to govern the Libra token. <laughs> Sorry. Speaking of the planned cryptocurrency, Hahn noted that the social media titans project was facing the same criticisms and misperceptions that the asset class faces more broadly. She noted, quote, they were just heightened and they got more attention because of the high profile nature of the project and the fact that Facebook was involved. I think it would be a really dangerous thing and frankly, a dangerous precedent to start shutting down technology before it's built, end quote. That one, she's probably correct. Han underscored her perspective that there are national security implications if the United States falls behind in terms of cryptocurrency development, pointing to plans to launch competitors to Libra by states such as China and Russia. As Cointelegraph reported, China has been researching its digital digital currency project since 2014 with development work gaining speed in 2018. In August, the People's Bank of China revealed that its digital currency was almost ready to launch significantly sooner than Libra. A top PBOC official has indicated that the currency's organizational structure is to some extent similar to that of Libra's and that Facebook's unveiled project has fed back into the currency's original design. Han, who formerly worked at the Justice Department's National Security Division on terrorism, mafia, and other criminal cases, came to crypto gradually. At first, she was investigating the use of Bitcoin to facilitate extortion and white-collar crime during her time at the U.S. Attorney's Office. Taking the view that prosecutors' perception of Bitcoin was misguided, their position being akin to saying, let's go prosecute cash, in her words, she established a task force for digital currency coordination in 2015 as a resource for uh, prosecutors and agencies. Under its aegis, she began hosting regular meetings and training seminars with the United States Treasury, IRS, and other government agencies. She also began teaching a class on cryptocurrency at Stanford Law, where she graduated. 
After choosing to leave her role in the federal government, Han's trajectory has led her to becoming the first female partner at major crypto VC firm Andreessen Horowitz. Having meanwhile served on the board of Coinbase, of course, where she first met Horowitz partner Chris Dixon. Recently, payments processor PayPal has officially left the Libra Association, the governing body of Facebook's Libra digital currency. As Cointelegraph reported on October the 2nd, the impetus behind similar worries for Visa, MasterCard, and Stripe were ensuring Libra did not harm their relationship with regulators. That means that they're thinking Libra may be toxic. Libra has created controversy with lawmakers worldwide since its inception, with a common narrative revolving around the digital currency taking power over money away from governments. <coughs> Stripe subsequently denied it was considering a U-turn. Libra developers have also outlined a roadmap for progress, revealing that nodes were already testing communication with one another. So what is this? It's hyperbole. Han is using, you know, fear and, and all this bullshit because they, she has a vested interest because she works at the company who has a vested interest in Libra. There, 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 I mean, there's nothing to see here, guys. Kind of. Well, I mean, it's, it, it, you have to see it. Uh, it's not like it's just a throwaway situation. It's just that just be aware that, you know, like we're this is, you know, corporate level shit coinery. And these people are very, very vested in this stuff. And the whole issue, frankly, the whole issue that saying that it's a national security thing, if we don't let Libra progress, is complete and utter bullshit. What you do is you let Bitcoin progress. You don't shut down developers. You do what Wyoming's doing, and you take a very, very, like, not, not well, classical liberal stance. And when I mean classical liberal, I ain't talking about the liberals we got today. I'm talking about people who are like, don't tell me what to do with my shit and let me work in peace. Stop talking to me and go bother somebody else. That's sort of what Wyoming's doing right now. And they're doing it. First of all, they're doing it very well. It's very impressive to see Wyoming do what they're what they've been doing from a legislative standpoint, legal standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. And if we, if the United States government would just back off and let the actual real chain, you know, the 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 they let just let Bitcoin go and support it, they'd have a chance to a unwind what, 58 years of horrible monetary policy, whatever it was, 1971, we got off the gold, the, we collapsed what was left of the gold standard because it wasn't really all there to be, you know, it, the, the confiscation of private gold way before that uh, cut some legs out of gold's uh, backing of the dollar. But Nixon in 71 put the hammer down and, and killed the rest of it. And since then, we've been on a path of just, spiraling, you know, like race to the bottom devaluation of our own damn currency. If they would just go ahead and, and continue doing that and let Bitcoin do what it's going to do, you don't need Libra for this shit. You just don't, frankly. And and saying that it's a national security issue is hyperbole at at best. And I don't, I don't know what it would be at worst, except dangerous because it's not it's not an issue to national security. The only thing that's an issue to national security is people is states like New York and 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 the establishment of the bit license. 
Stop doing shit like that. And you won't have to worry about this stuff because you'll be able to unwind in a way that may not get us into a Mad Max scenario. All your terrible decisions that you've made, not only since 1971, but since the inception of the Fed in 1913. So... That's my opinion. I'm probably grossly wrong, but I do not care. Why? Because 300 qubits, a blockchain shipping pioneer, gives up on its TEU token, Coindesk. Richard Mayer's writing October the 4th that 300 qubits, an early innovator in using blockchain for international container shipping, has pulled the plug on its TEU token, citing lack of business. No shit, really? Probably because you don't need a blockchain for this. Quote, the transaction volume through the system has been far from commercial, the company wrote in a September 30th statement. Only a couple hundred containers have gone through the system, which, although may seem plenty among the shipping blockchain projects, is not sufficient to keep the system going commercially, end quote. With TEU, a play on 20-foot equivalent units, the standard unit of measure in container shipping, was issued in an initial coin offering in early 2018 and designated as the medium of exchange for the company's booking deposit module. Customers who were given the tokens would use the TEU to book container space with participating shippers. It was expected that TEU would have some value and thus solve booking problems that have played the container market. Customers would be disinclined to cancel orders and the shippers would be less likely to overlook or sorry, overbook their ships. Trials were conducted in March of 2018, and the system went live in July 2018, but interest was limited and few transactions were actually achieved. Sealand, the Florida-based Maersk Group company, Beijing-based Costco, and Geneva-based MSC tested the TEU, according to the statement, and 300 qubits was in discussion with a number of, a- of other major shippers. The company said regulatory issues were a major impediment. Many potential clients backed off given uncertainty of how as to how the relevant authorities would treat the token liquidity and volatility were also said to cause concern among, among potential customers. While the main selling point of blockchain immutability and anonymity did not resonate with, or were seen as problems by the market, 300 qubits will burn at least 75% of the TEU tokens and will continue to burn them as they are returned. According to the statement And Hong Kong based company will continue to per, uh, pursue other blockchain related opportunities. Solutions for containing container booking, no-shows, so-called downfalls have been instituted by the shippers themselves and by the New York Shipping Exchange, which offers enforceable freight contracts on its platform. Blockchain is being used in the sector, but in other ways. Most notably, IBM and Maersk are developing TradeLens, a blockchain-based system that allows for the real-time sharing of shipping data between parties connected in the supply chain. You don't need a blockchain for any of this. It is a waste of time. It's a waste of resources in general, which means time, money, brain power, you know, dead neurons, lay, you know, like strewn about the, the, the business conference room. You don't need any of this. It's shipping, y'all. I mean, come on. Why is this so hard? Blockchain technology in general is one of the most inefficient things in the world. And thank God that inefficiency means that it's secure. I don't need, if I'm going to ship something, anything, even if it's like, if it's 5 million units of something, all I need is a contract and insurance and show up to the docks with my product 
on the day they're supposed to be loaded in. Maybe not shipped, but at least loaded into the containers. That's, that's the mandate. That's all you need. You need to have the product, you need to have it insured, and you need to bring it to the damn ship. And then the shipper does everything else. And either your shipment gets there or it doesn't. If it gets there, you sell it, you get money. If it sinks to the bottom of the North Atlantic, you've got insurance. We've had these, we've had these tools for centuries. Insurance has been around for a long time, folks. You don't need a blockchain. And even if you had a blockchain, it's not going to stop any of this bullshit. This is why we have contracts. Just saying. Continuing on. Blockstream's Samson Mal says, Bitcoin's block size may already be too big. Did you get triggered? Are you triggered yet? Triggered? William Suberg is writing for Cointelegraph when? Three hours ago. The chief strategy officer at Bitcoin technology firm Blockstream has said that the current block size capacity may not even be needed in the future. Speaking in an interview with industry news outlet Decrypt on October the 2nd, uh, October the 6th, Samson Mao, or actually it's not Mao, I believe it's pronounced Mo. I've heard him say that, so I'm going to go with Mo. Samson Mo stated that as off-chain scaling solutions such as Lightning Network progress, Bitcoin will need less on-chain capacity. According to Mo, Bitcoin now has the equivalent of four megabyte blocks of transactions which use segregated witness technology are included. The future will show, however, quote, that the current block size may actually be too big. Mo's comments are in stark contrast with the often quoted narrative among commentators who worry that Bitcoin's network capacity will fail to deal with future increases in demand. Blocks are currently around one megabyte in size. That's not true. About 1.3 megabytes in size, people. And that's 30% larger than what they're stating here. And that's, that's not insignificant. Starting over, blocks are currently around 1.3 megabytes in size. Off-chain transactions do not contribute to the network load by filling them up. And hence the technology which allows them is seeing considerable development. For Mo, the L... Sorry, guys. Sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. That's... <laughs> Uh, I forgot to switch my phone to I don't want to talk to anybody ever mode. So um, that that's my bad. That's my bad. Okay. For Mo, the Lightning Network represents the most likely winner. The protocol allows almost instant off-chain Bitcoin transactions, which can cost just one Satoshi, which is $0.00007944 at press time. Its popularity remains limited due to its experimental nature and lack of user-friendly interface, but adoption must continue in order to advance LN's status. Mo explained, quote, Lightning has to grow organically. There's no real way to just jumpstart it artificially. People need to open up channels, lock up Bitcoin, and start connecting with other nodes. Earlier in 2019, the Lightning Torch transaction relay has significantly increased the profile of both the technology and Bitcoin itself, with participants including, twi including Twitter's CEO, Jack Dorsey. So again, let's be very careful with the ch almost free transaction cost narrative. We've seen the damage that that shit can do when it's wrong. And the, here's the thing. Maybe at the time, maybe it was possible that it was understandable that that uh, transactions will always be free. But it's clearly that clearly wasn't the case. So we should examine the potentialities for increased fees on the Lightning Network, 
which doesn't actually, which for me is not all that bad. I'm not saying that, oh, well, that means Lightning Network sucks. No, I love Lightning Network. I think it's one of the coolest things since sliced bread. However, I think it's, we need to, we do need to do our, our, our diligence and, and be careful with how we narrate this whole damn thing because it's not impossible for an issue to occur where Lightning Network becomes expensive. And if so, guess what happens? Third layer that maybe locks into the Lightning layer. We don't know how this how this is going to progress. What we do know, though, is the fractal nature of stack development. We're already seeing we're already seeing it again. We saw that the build of the internet, where the the base layer of the internet is brutally inefficient. So all the efficiencies were built in layers on top of it. And now, if you look at the whole stack, the internet is extraordinarily efficient, extraordinarily efficient. And one of the ways that it became so efficient is not just the layer technology, but the development of compression technology. You know, we see that. I mean, you can kind of, I look at uh, snore signatures and segregated witness and things like that as compression technologies. They're not exactly compression, but they serve a similar purpose. They make everything run smoothly because it shrinks the size of that shit that you got to move around. You don't want to be moving around stuff that weighs too much. Like gold, that's expensive. Unless you're only moving around a coin and you can put it in your pocket, then whoop-de-doo. But again, that's a, that's sort of like analogous to a small block size. You see what I'm saying? But the Bitcoin protocol, like the base layer protocol of the internet, is horribly inefficient. Thank God, because it's really freaking secure. The things that are built on top of it is what's going to build out efficiencies. Compression technologies is going to make even those efficiencies more efficient. And compression technology insofar as shrinking the size of transactions, shrinking the size of signatures without screwing up the security, the whole security thing. All right. So just I'm just saying, let's be careful, which like, you know, we say cheap transactions. Let's remember what happened in the past. Okay, Galaxy Digital XBTO just made the first block trade of backed Bitcoin futures. This is Coindesk William Foxley on the on October the 4th. Intercontinental Exchange, Back's parent company, announced the trade Friday but did not disclose its size. A block trade is a large transaction that takes place off the open market in order to avoid moving the price too much. The trade, which took place on Tuesday, comes on the heels of the disappointing launch last week of the much-hyped Backed, whose on-exchange volume in its first five trading days totaled just over $5 million U.S., Two years in the making, Bact is the first live market in the United States for Bitcoin futures that are physically delivered, meaning the buyer receives the underlying commodity. Despite Bact's inauspicious debut, Galaxy Digital and XBTO express confidence in the platform. Quote, as the digital asset class continues to mature, we view the launch of Bact as a foundational piece of market infrastructure, Galaxy Digital said in ICE's press release. XBTO said in the release that it bought the first Bitcoin daily futures last week in addition to participating in the block trade. The new Bitcoin futures uh, contract has been closely watched by crypto investors as well as in the broader financial industry, where it has been billed as a product that might attract allocations from institutional money managers, including hedge funds, pension funds, and endowments. Galaxy Digital is led by Mike Novogratz, a former Goldman Sachs, or sorry, Goldman Sachs executive, who later helped run the hedge fund Fortress Investment Group. XBTO CEO is Philippe Bacchazzi, a former, formerly 
of Citibank and Stephen Cohen's SAC Capital Hedge Fund. Friday's press release from the Atlanta-based ICE didn't state whether the block trade was made in the exchange's monthly or daily settled futures contracts. In the first two weeks since the start of trading, almost all activity has taken place in the monthly contract, but even their activity has disappointed. Some market analysts have even said that the sluggish uptake contributed to a drop last week in Bitcoin's prices since it indicated a lack of demand among institutional investors with most individual investors currently to gravitate toward the future contract starting started in late 2017 by the rival Chicago-based exchange, or the CME. In the first four days of this week, just 260 of the BAC's monthly futures contracts changed hands worth about $2.1 million at the closing price of $8,152 per Bitcoin on Thursday. While data wasn't available for Friday, the pace of trading is down from last week's volume of 623 contracts, which carried a value of just over $5 million. On Tuesday, when the block trade crossed, some 27 of the monthly contracts changed hands for a value of $226,000 based on that day's closing price. No volume was reported in the daily contract for the day. Bitcoin prices were little changed in the last 24 hours through 1700 UTC on Tuesday, though we're down sharply from over $10,000 prior to the Bax contract's debut on September the 19th based on Coindesk's Bitcoin price index. So there you go. I, you know, and I, I kind of don't know what to make about this. I'm not all that, I'm not all that surprised that the, that the whole backed futures thing is just like, meh, you know, it's like the whole market right now is kind of meh. There's a lot of distractions going on around the world, right? I mean, you got tariffs, you got China and Hong Kong. Now, apparently, the entire internet for Iraq is has been shut down or grossly limited in its in its ability to do things that people expect to do. And Iraqi people are, and you'll hear more about this in today's daily train wreck. I guarantee you, um, are you, there's lots of shit going on. It does not surprise me. I mean, it just, it, I'm not surprised and I don't understand why everybody's freaked out about this whole back thing. So what? Let it just, I mean, it's live. Let it go. Let's see what happens to it. It's either going to make it or it's not. And if it doesn't make it this time, somebody else will build one and then it'll make it. We're in for the long haul. This whole short term you know, low time preference thing or high time preference, I can't remember which one. I if high time preference means that I need my shit tomorrow, then we need to stop being all high time preference. Be low time preference where it's like, hopefully this shit pays off before I die. That's sort of where you want to be at. And then, you know, we do cool stuff along the way. Okay. Liechtenstein's parliament unanimously approves new blockchain act. This is Joeri Kant writing for Cointelegraph yesterday. On October the 3rd, the Parliament of Liechtenstein approved the Blockchain Act, which, Act, which aims to improve investor protection, combat money laundering, and establish clarity. The new law will enter into force on Jan 1, 2020. The Parliament's announcement claims that this act will make Liechtenstein the first country to have comprehensive regulation of the token economy. The newly approved law will regulate civil law issues in relation to client and asset protection while establishing adequate supervision of the various service providers in the token economy. Liechtenstein's Prime Minister Adrian Hassler said, quote, 
with the TVTG, an essential element of the financial center strategy of the government is implemented and Liechtenstein is positioned as an innovative and legally secure location for providers in the token economy. Thomas Nagel, attorney and co-author of the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act, was quick to share the news with his social media followers. Uh, Nagel's colleague, CEO of Bitcoin Suisse in Liechtenstein, Maro, Maro? Yeah, I'm going to go with Maro Casalini, outlined the importance of the Blockchain Act, quote, the positive decision without dissent from the Liechtenstein government shows the importance of the Blockchain Act. The TVTG not only creates legal certainty for all market participants, but also heralds a new era, the token economy. Oh, God. With its pioneering role, Liechtenstein proves once again that it is the ideal location for fintech and blockchain companies, and thus for us, too, in the heart of Europe. Cointelegraph previously reported that Liechtenstein's friendly approach to blockchain has already attracted several blockchain companies. Cryptocurrency trading platform Bittrex recently announced its new trading platform, Bittrex Global, to be headquartered in Liechtenstein. Bittrex chose to establish a trading platform in Liechtenstein because of the small country's clarity in regulating digital currencies and blockchain technology. So there you have it. Liechtenstein is an interesting country. It's landlocked like a son of a bitch, and it's really small, but it's very wealthy. And if I remember, although the drawback is, and that is if I remember correctly, that Craig Wright may have gotten one of his wheelbarrow full of uh, degrees at the at a university in Liechtenstein. So there's there that's a black eye for him ha- having to host that dude. Just ugh. okay. What does it mean? God only knows what this shit means. <laughs> I mean, blockchain act. It's 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 silly because again, this goes back to. Why build on anything that is not the most secure? So, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to be like, you know, a Luddite or anything like that. Sure, go ahead, build away. But, you know, don't expect it, you know, th- this this constant yammering and yipping that it's going to be the new Bitcoin is ridiculous because then what happens to your value if you're right, what happens to your value three years later when some asshole comes up and says, no, ours is the new one? Will you fight for yours? If you do, why didn't you fight for Bitcoin? It's because your heart is not in the right place. Your morals are not in the right place. Your ethics are not in the right place. You sow confusion, and that confusion is going to get people wrecked. Just go with the strongest and the best. Just go with Bitcoin. All right, let's see. Where are we at? We're at 50 minutes in, and I got two more, but neither one of them are... And yeah, neither one of them are all that important. We can either save them till Wednesday or Friday or something like that. Anyway, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Vital statistics being brought to you by bitinfocharts.com, menpool.space, and 1ML. Let's get into it. Bitcoin price is at $8,151. The high is going to be over at, looks like Coinbase Pro at $8,155. The low is at P2P, B2B at $8,128. 300,000 transactions have been made over the last 24 hours with about 12,500 being made, transactions being made per hour on average. Only 625,000 BTC have been sent over that last 24 hours, with an average being sent per hour of about 26,000 BTC. 
Average transaction value is 2 BTC and the median is 0.017 BTC or about 150 bucks. Block time is low at 9 minutes 0 seconds. 0.13 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 20 Bitcoin have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We've had a 2% drop in hash rate, bringing us to 95 exahashes per second. And the last GitHub commit was sometime on the 4th. Wow, that surprisingly, they're, wow, huh, kind of late. Usually I would expect something to be pushed out like this morning or, or sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 177, Bcash is 232, Litecoin is 56.50. BSV is 84. Ethereum Classic is at $4.62. Dogecoin is at, ooh, Dogecoin got a bump, man. 0.0026. 25,000 transactions doesn't even beat Litecoin at this point. All right, so mempool, how deep are we? We're, we're six blocks into the mempool at 11,300, uh, sorry, 11,300, let's call it, for 11,400 tra- unconfirmed transactions for a mempool total size of seven megabytes waiting to be cleared. Everything I'm looking at is one point, like I'm seeing 1.36, uh megabytes of blocks. So those, the block sizes are, are well above one megabyte, which is what I was bitching about in one of the earlier stories. It's not averaging one megabyte. It's averaging 1.2 to 1.3 megabytes per block. Lightning, we have had a drop in new nodes over the last 24 hours. We're down by about 25%. We've only had seven new nodes come online in the last 24 hours. However, new channels that have been constructed are up 36%. Over the last 24 hours, we've had 98 new channels be born into this world in their swaddling clothes. We have now 10,080 total nodes that we can actually see. Keep that in mind, guys. Somebody sets their node to private, you're not going to be able to see that lightning node. So as far as what we can publicly view... The Lightning Network consists of 10,080 nodes. I suspect that number is a lot higher because there's a lot of us who are like, if I put my Lightning node up, I don't really want to broadcast it. So be aware that the, these these numbers are, are predicated on uh, what we can actually publicly see. Okay, so that's going to do it for Vital Statistics. Song of the Day is uh, brought to you by Brian Adams, and this is a live performance. And so I, I just I like live performances better than studio. I just do. There's more energy. It, they get a chance to play around with with thematic elements in their in their songs that they've been playing for years and years and years. And some of the some of the best live stuff I've ever seen is from bands that have been around for like thirty years. You know, twenty, thirty, forty years. And they're still playing live a song that was like, you know, a hit off their, you know, fourth album, you know, like 30 years before. So they've been playing a a song for 30 years. If you don't think that they're not going to mess with that thing, you know, you're wrong. And that's what makes live music so much more fun, or at least live music from bands that you've been listening to. So anyway, um, without any further ado, I present to you live Brian Adams.
Your Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by none other than Bryce Weiner at B-R-Y-C-E-W-E-I-N-E-R. This guy has been around for a long time. He's not a newcomer to this crap. He's installed several scams that that I know about and probably a, a whole bunch more that I don't. And I don't know what this what this cat's play is here, but he's he's using a terrible situation to raise awareness to his point of view. So let me he's he's retweeting netblocks.org or rather at netblocks who says update it has now been 100 hours since Iraq impo- imposed a near total internet shutdown amid widespread protest the disruption comes at a critical time when Iraqis most need a voice so what is Bryce ret- when he comments on this retweet what does he say Number of Iraqi-based satellite Bitcoin transactions, zero. Honestly, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Dude, that is a terrible situation, and the your your reaction is to use it to... to, to basically shit on Bitcoin. And I guess at one point or another, he's going to announce yet another shitcoin operation that he's going to be involved with. That seems to be his modus operandi. In either event, I had to call the man a scamtron. Just straight up, just called his ass out. And I've, I've been in a tussle with this guy a couple of times before. Like, I think it was like a couple of years ago. He said something stupid. I called him out for it. And his response was to, Apparently find out that I'm from Texas. Whoop-de-doo, it's in my bio. And then he found a picture of like a Texas license plate on a truck. And like that truck had like something like, I don't know, like come take my gun when you, you can have my gun when you pry it from my cold dead fingers. Some some kind of gun related, you know, like bumper sticker. And like it was supposed to like disturb me or something. And I'm like, well, that's where I live. I just... We, we, we actually, you know, we actually value our, our personal safety in, in either event. So when I called him a scamtron, it took him about, I, I, I checked and it was about a 20 minute lag before he blocked me. Yeah. I'm finally blocked by scamtron Bryce Weiner. That's scamtron. And if you would like to use that term, you are more than welcome. I've never, I don't know where the hell I came up with it. It is a, uh, probably means absolutely nothing except that this guy is a scammer. He's using the hardship of an entire nation to push his bullshit shit coinery through. And I think that that's just a real scumbag thing to do. He's a shit bag human being. And if you're listening to what Bryce has to say, I would, I, I wouldn't. And if you do, you're going to end up getting wrecked anywhere. Anyway, that's your smoldering pile. Okay, now for something funny. I've got yet another terrible, terrible joke brought to you by at Dad Says Jokes. How did the farmer find his daughter? Tractor. 
that joke is amazing. That is an amazing bad joke. That's, that very well may constitute the absolute shortest amount of time or the least amount of syllables it took to pull off a fully functional, cohesive, terrible joke. One of my absolute favorites in the world. Okay, so let's go ahead and get out. It's Monday. We're at the beginning of a new week. Uh, we're seeing lots of pain and suffering in the price. Again, try not to get your panties in a wad about it, man. You know how this stuff goes. We've been going through this for a long, long time. Early, I've been going through this since, what, September 2015 was my was my first entrance, I think. into the Yeah, pretty sure it's September 2015. Seen a lot of this stuff, you know, and it's like and what's really weird is feeling the exact same pit of your stomach, you know, heaves, you know, now that I did when I was watching the price go from, you know, tank 20% off of $500. And it's like now it's like it's tanking, you know, 20% off of $10,000 and I, and I have no difference in the amount of, you know, pit of your stomach despair. And I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. You went from 500 to like, you know, 400 and that hurts you just as much as 10,000 to 8,000. I I really need to get my priorities straight. I think, I think it would be good if, if all of us started getting our priorities straight, straight about the price. It's volatile. It just, it is what it is. And I'm just, you know, need to be here for the long haul. So I'm here for the long haul. I hope you guys are in here for the long haul. And at the end of that long haul, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.